Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. This Christmas season, as we continue to lean into this incredible story of Christmas, which I'm going to lean in today, and I'm going to approach this a little different. As you know, every Christmas I get a little, uh, I get a little creative, and I, I start thinking about things a little differently. And because I think it's important that we we kind of feel the story of Christmas, because we can miss it sometimes if we don't understand kind of what 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 all the pieces are, and the the characters, and the people, and the and the context, and we we kind of can bring it into our Western world, and it just loses its punch. When you do that. So today I'm going to share with you some things that as I was writing this sermon, I, I was reminded of a time I was, uh, I was a narrator at a, uh, I narrated this, this Christmas play in college called He Came to Us. It was written by uh, Wayne and Elizabeth Goodine. They had worked with um, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and they were our music directors. And so I was in, a, I was in a, a, a play where I narrated it and then one point I broke into a song. It, so it's sometimes what I do today as well. So it's the same. Uh, but I was reminded of, of some of the, the things that, that I remember in the play that they brought out that really spoke to me. So I'm going to be incorporating some of those things today. I'm going to share with you some things today from one of the great preachers and that's just one of the pastors I admire deeply. Um, and that's uh, Chuck Swindoll. As I just love his storytelling and some of the books I've been reading about Christmas. I'm going to use some of that. And, and you'll hear some things from Max Lucado today as well. And you'll hear some things from my professor of major prophets as we lean into this incredible story of Christmas. And so we're going to allow the prophet Isaiah to speak to us today. It's kind of interesting when you look at the prophet Isaiah, when, when you think, well, Christmas, that's, that's New Testament, that's, that's, uh, that's Matthew, and yes, but that's not where it began. The story of Christmas has, has, has begun, began many, 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 many years before Matthew chapter 1. And so we're going to listen to the prophet Isaiah, who, who was a prophet of the king's courts, he could walk into the king's courts of, uh, of any king within Israel of his time, and he could, he, he could take his command. He could command the king's attention because he was a prophet of God. And he spoke with clarity, and he spoke with precision, and he spoke with articulate words. And today, that's many of the, the, the prophecies that we use during the Christmas season. He was well-educated, and so we're going to listen to him today. And I would ask you today just to open your heart as God speaks to us, as God ministers to us through this incredible story. You know, Christmas is such a beautiful time of year. And I think what I like about it is, is everybody is kind of in unity together. Whether it's with family or friends or the community or the world. I mean, you could fly to Japan today and you'd get off and there'd be, everything would be Christmas there. It's interesting how a season of time, most of the world celebrates Christmas. And I believe that it's a, a spiritual climate that God wants to do something in our midst. But I believe if you understood a little bit more of the Christmas story, that it could impact you a little differently, really in a deeper way. Many times what we forget about Christmas as a, as a Western church is we forget of, of, of some of these significant nuances and these significant um, understandings that the story of Christmas originally is rooted deeply. It's actually not our story. It's a Jewish story. 
that we have now become a part of. It was a story to the Jews. All of the main characters of the Christmas story are Jewish. It's in a Jewish land. And so for the Jewish people, they would have a deep understanding. So what, what, what I'm asking you to do today is, is we're, we're going we're gonna to lean into the Old Testament and allow the Old Testament to, to, to tell us the story of Jesus. It's hard for us to really understand some of these things because we're Gentiles, which just means we're not Jewish. So there, there are a few probably converted Jews that are here today or joining us online. Though now in Christ, all those who are in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. But the reality is that most people that celebrate the birth of Jesus every year are non-Jews. And so we, know, so we know a little bit of the Jewish culture. So if, if we're not Jews and the Christmas story is a Jewish story, we should probably lean in and figure out what's deeper behind it. We, we don't know much of the Jewish culture. We, we, we don't know what it's like to be a Jew. Leading up to the days of the Old Testament, we, we don't, it, it's not a part of our story. We don't, we don't really understand the, the stories of, our, of a people that we belong to, of a dark valleys of a, abuse and pain. Listen, a lot of us do the Ancestry.com. We do this spit in a little vial, you send it off or whatever, the 23 me or whatever it may be, and you find out where you're from, right? And what we find out is we're all mutts, one, that's what we find out. And when we see regions and you think, I wonder what their story is. I wonder what this story is. I wonder, oh, I came from this area. Oh, somebody from some. We know where because of that, but we don't know the story of the people that we came from. The Jew knows the story. And so in their story is ingrained the DNA in every Jew, an extreme tragedy that their people have endured. The Old Testament, the understanding of, of the Jew is there's, there's an extreme tragedy. As a Gentile, we don't have the memory of the stories of, of the generations that the, that the Jew would have of their fathers and their leaders of, of their people who would read the account of the Old Testament about, about God delivering a people group. They, 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 they don't, they don't, we don't understand what they understand, but these people, the Jews, they would sit around and they would hear the story of God moving and God using a man named Moses to lead their people, the Jews, and how that leader, once they were delivered from Egypt, that leader read instructions from God to the people, not to some people, but to their people, all of them, how to live their lives, what they're supposed to eat and not eat, the days of the year that they're supposed to stop and honor and remember. So this has been a part of their story. We don't have the memory of the instructions of God to, to their forefathers that, that you're called to live differently. We don't have the memory of, of our grandfather and our grandfather's grandfather. We, we don't have these stories that have been passed on that you're called to be different. Now, I, I tell my kids they're different. I say, listen, you, listen, you're a king, so you're different. You're going to act different. That's who we are. But that's just in my family. They were a people group that this is a part of their story. 
They had the memory of these instructions that they were to be different. They were to look different. They were to act different. They were to love differently. They were to, they were to be distinct than anyone else in the world. And in the story of the Jews, and the, the story of their darkness, the story of their slavery, the story of, of God's miraculous um, just hand moving in their lives by his grace and his provision, and the story of their oppression, the story of their helplessness and hopelessness and their emptiness, they had to be thinking in their story as they would think as, our, as them as the Jews, as our babies are murdered, our sons are enslaved, our fathers are fighting to protect us, our women, young and old, are left to fend for themselves. This is part of their story leading up to the Christmas story. We don't have that memory while in the midst of all of these things, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering. We don't have the memory of, of grandpa and grandma and mom and dad and in the midst of their pain as a people, a story of a glimmer of hope that would come one day. A glimmer of encouragement that they would, they would remember back to when someone read that passage with a whisper of hope in the middle of desperation as a people of someone who would come to save our people, the Messiah. That's what Christmas is. It's a Jewish story. And as a Jew, every time we would read, read of him, the Messiah, we hear of him as a child, we'd see the longing in the Father's face of the suffering he was currently going through. And as he would read of the Messiah, we would see the, his face say, oh God, may it be today. We remember our mothers and the the darkest of times and the moments of pain to, that they would, we would hear them say, Mashiach, which is the Messiah, would he come? This was the story of the Jews. In the days of the Bible, when the Messiah was mentioned and the scriptures of his coming, when they would read of him, there was a, a, a quietness in the room, a hush, a holiness. And every heart was saying, may he come soon. As a Gentile, this isn't part of our family story. It isn't what we've all experienced. Now, we have been brought into it. We've been brought into this tremendous story by the grace of God. But for us as, as Gentiles, the, the rabbis were the first ones to read of this story or to inherit this story and this account from the Holy Word of God. So we as non-Jews don't always feel, feel the weight of this story of the Jew leading up to the coming of Christ at Bethlehem. We don't know all the, the tensions and the pain and the desperation, but they did. And because of that, though, we as Gentiles can miss the holiness and the awe and the specialness of Christmas. 
In many ways, I've heard it put like this, that we look over the shoulders of the Jew and experience the promise made to them and their people. Well, the truth is this, those same promises were made available to us by the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in which they, the Jews, rejected. But we are part of those promises now. But it's a Jewish story. The coming of Jesus, our Savior, is woven all through the, all through the Old Testament. There's a, 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 a saying that there's a scarlet thread that starts from Genesis and goes all, all the way to Revelation. And that scarlet thread is the work and the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the story of the Bible, the Messiah. And when you read the Old Testament, you can, you can see glimpses of the coming Messiah. You can read Moses and actually see Jesus. The whole story of God, of the account of Scripture, is, is to point to one who would come and save the world. That's what Christmas is about. But to the people of Israel, to the Jew, it's the one who would come and save them. The Jewish scholars, those who do not believe in Jesus, would say that there's 456 Old Testament texts that speak directly about the Messiah or of a, of a messianic age or the time of the Messiah. And so they would read the scriptures and they would, they would they, oh yeah, that's Messiah. Yes, that, oh, that speaks of him. What I love about it, Jesus is, during his ministry on the earth, he's, He's with some of these leaders who, who are reading Scripture, and he says in John 5, he says, you examine the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he said, no, hang on, hang on. You think it's the words. No, 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 it ain't the words. It ain't the discipline. It ain't the religion. You, you're reading these words, and you, you, you think in them you're going to find eternal life. I'm telling you right now, those very Scriptures are talking about me. The Word has now become flesh. Here I am. Why? Because it's the story of God through the Jewish people. Now, it's not that the Jewish people are special. It's because God needed a people to bring his Savior for you and I through. And he chose the Jewish people. The story of Christmas finds its roots in the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells us what I, what I love about the story of Christmas. It's so anchored and rooted in, in, in such deep truth. It tells us prophetically of the Messiah, the one we celebrate at Christmas time, tells us that he will be of the line of Abraham, of the line of Judah, of the line of David. He tells us that he will, he will come as or through a virgin birth. His birthplace will be Bethlehem. He said, they even, the Old Testament even speaks of the one who would come before him to be a forerunner, which we now know as John the Baptist. Says that he will be king. He says he will be prophet. He, was, he will be the priest. He will bear upon himself the world's sins. The Old Testament says that this Messiah that comes, he will be rejected. He will be ridiculed. His hands and his feet will be pierced. His bones won't be broken. And we find that to be true at the crucifixion of Christ, that his bones were not broken as they normally would in order for, to, to finish off the person hanging on the cross. They would break their knees so then they could not pull them or push themselves up and not suffocate to death. When they came to do that, Jesus had already died. No bones were broken. 
The Old Testament prophesies and speaks of soldiers who would gamble for Jesus' garments. The Old Testament speaks of the prayer that Jesus would cry out on the cross. The Old Testament speaks of his physical disfigurement from the beatings and the, and the abuse. Speaks of the whipping on his back that he would be mocked and cursed and he would die and he would be resurrected and he would ascend. All of it is in the Old Testament. And all of that came from God speaking to humanity, to a Jewish people, through the prophets to the Jews. They were God's prophets, God's voice to speak to them and say, hey, prepare yourself. Hey, this is what I'm doing. I mean, he would, he would use Jeremiah. He would use all the prophets. They would speak to them and give instructions. Now they could not listen or they could. But the prophet Isaiah, is which a lot of the, the passages we pull at Christmas, is one of the clearest of the coming Messiah. The scriptures we use often every year are from him. And so he is writing the Jews, or excuse me, we are reading for what he has spoken to the Jews. But this is one of the, 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 the verses that we hear often around Christmas, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, as, as we hear dumb church jokes, when you see the word therefore, you need to what? Find out what it's there for. What's happening? What's the context? And many times we don't think of that at Christmas time. We just think Jesus and we think Western church, yay. It's wonderful. And it is. But what's going on? What was happening with Isaiah when he spoke these words? Well, let me set the, the, the backdrop of Isaiah 7. Israel was in turmoil. The people, they were fractured. They were disunified. They were at war. After King Solomon died, the, the kingdom was split in the two in north, which is uh, the kingdom of um, Ephraim, the south, the kingdom of Judah. And they were at war. They were in a mess. And King Ahaz was ruling the southern kingdom. And, and, and so he, was, he, he knew he was at war with the Norse, but he also knew that there was this, this, uh, this warring army, the Syrian army, who was wanting to conquer Israel. And everybody was freaked out by the Assyrian army because they were ruthless and they were brutal and they were fast, they were destructive, and they were coming. And so he's nervous about the North, he's nervous about the Syrians, everybody's nervous about, about this army that's coming. The nation is, is trembling and, and, and everything they've done hasn't worked. The, the leader isn't working and this isn't working and everything is fractured. And so King Ahaz is afraid he's going to die. He's afraid all of his power is going to be taken. And he's freaked out and he's nervous and he's wringing his hands. But he is leading the kingdom of Judah. So he's anxious. This is the setting of when Isaiah began to speak, Isaiah 7. This, this is the setting of it. So God speaks to Isaiah. Hey, Isaiah, my prophet, I want you to go to King Ahaz, and I want you to tell him something. The king, and Isaiah says, okay. He gets up. He goes. 
He walks into the king's courts. He says, what's up, Ahaz? And so he walks in and, and he says, I've got a message for you, King Ahaz. So Isaiah tells a nervous King Ahaz that God sent him to tell him something that's good news. He says, King Ahaz, everything's going to be okay, King. It's all right. God says, he's got you. You're going to be fine. That God will protect you in the southern kingdom. Now Ahaz is still nervous. He's like, oh, thank you. Thank you, uh, uh, Isaiah. And he's still nervous. He's still like chewing tums. Like he's like, I got a nervous stomach. I'm upset. And what's really happening? And he's nervous. He's anxious. He's paranoid. So then later, now this is before the the passage I just read. They're talking about the virgin, the virgin birth. So later then the Lord speaks to Ahaz again because he knows he's still nervous. And he says, he says this, ask the Lord. Isaiah tells Ahaz, ask the Lord, your God, for a sign of confirmation that everything's going to be okay. Now, Ahaz, make it as difficult as you want. And God's going to confirm that what he said is true. You're going to be okay. The scripture says, but the king refused and said, no, I will not test the Lord like that. Now, on, 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 the, on the face value of this, this sounds very spiritual. But what, what you don't know, and, and because it's not in Isaiah, that back in Kings, that there has been some agreement that Ahaz has made with the king of Assyria that he thought would help protect him and maybe sick Assyria on the north and not the south. But really, it ended up biting him in the rear end, and it's, he still got defeated by him. Now, I want you to look at this promise. I just, just stay with me for, for a second. I know this is a little different today. Just, just, just hang with me. I want you to look at this, what Isaiah says to King Ahaz. He says, he says this, ask the Lord your God. Ask the Lord yourself. This is a singular, th- listen, Ahaz, for you, you're nervous, you're freaked out. What do you need God to do so that you're, you are gonna be okay? This had nothing to do with the nation. This had nothing to do with the people. This had nothing to do with with God's overall plan. This is about, hey, Ahaz, what do you need to chill out? What do you need? Just tell me what you need. I'll confirm it, and then you can take a deep breath. So that's, that's verses 10 through 12. But then all of a sudden something shifts to verse 13. And now Isaiah says this. And he's not addressing Ahaz, he's addressing the court. He's addressing the line of David. He's addressing the nation as a whole. He said, listen well, you royal family of David. This is the address that's happening. You royal family of David. All the people, the court and everybody within Israel. You need to listen up. I know you're nervous. Ahaz, he's nervous too. And the Lord said, he'll do something for him. But people of Israel, you need to listen. I know you've been fractured. I know you've been hurt. I know you're in two different kingdoms. I know you're at war. I I know everything looks like it's falling apart. I know that you're, you're desperate in your pain. I know that you're desperate in what you need. I know you as a nation need someone to come and help you. This isn't about the nervous king Ahaz anymore. This is about the people. 
This is now Isaiah speaking to the people. I know that the human kings have not served you well. I know that they've abused you. I know that they've used you. I know, I know that, God says. I know you need something different. And that's when we have the first passage that I read. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Who? The people a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall come as God in your midst and take care of you people. So if you were to fast forward 700 years from when Isaiah prophesied that right there to the people. 700 years. Matthew chapter 1. We're in the New Testament now. And a young woman has had an encounter with an angel that we, we heard about last week. Joseph has had an encounter with the angel. And this is what the angel told Joseph. He said, she, Matthew 1, she, meaning Mary, will bear a son. And you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now look at this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the promise of God that happened 700 years later. Same language. Because the people that thought, you know what? God had forgotten his promise. The people that thought, you know what? God has turned his back on us. But listen, th this is one of just the a little side note is this. The, uh, the reality is this. God never forgets his promise. You may not think it's coming when you want it to or, or, or how you thought it would, but I'm telling you, God does not forget his promises. He is a faithful God, and you can take it to the bank. He's going to be faithful to his word. So many times we go through life, and oh, the questioning, I mean, 700 years, and I mean, come on, God. But God had a greater plan. The prophet Isaiah saw something out in the future 700 years later that was for the people. But then it wasn't just for the people. It was for God to use the people to bring forth salvation to you and I. But let's go back to Isaiah. He begins to give another prophecy. Now, now again, I, I want you to catch this. And this is important, as we, especially around Christmas time. When you read the prophets, as, uh, as my, my professor Van Gill said, when you read the prophets, you need to understand when a prophet speaks, many times they're standing on a mountain peak. So they're on a peak and they look out this way to the future and they see another peak. So they describe what they see there. And then sometimes they'll even look back and then look forward again and, they, and they're describing what they're seeing. Now, you need to understand that because we don't know the valleys in between the peak to the other peak. We don't know the terms. We don't know the context. We, but the prophet just many times sees a peak and they speak about the peak, speak about the event. So this is what's happening with the prophet Isaiah. He's standing on a, on a mountain peak and he's looking. This is what prophets do. They, he looks and sees something. And he gives some details. And then here's the, Chris, here's the Christmas verse. And he sees a peak. He goes, wow. And he writes, 
Isaiah 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us. Now, now look at that. To us. To a people. Not, it's not from, no, no, it, it's, it's for us. It's to us. It's, it's, it, he, is, he is one of us. We are, the, we are the people that are in need. We're the people that are, that are crying for the Messiah. We're the ones who are, who are crushed under the weight of our own sin. We're the ones who are, who, who, who all we do, we just want, we want to be finally cleansed. We want, to be, we want to be free from the guilt of sin. We want to be free from the stain of it on our lives. We, we don't want to be a slave to it anymore. And, and for them as a people, they're, they're looking for a Messiah that's going to save them. But to us, this is the solution to the pain of the people. That one's going to come. This is what Christmas is about. The one's going to come that's to you, for you. And then it goes on. It says, a son is given. So one is of us. So that's, he's coming to us, but he's not from us. He's different. He's becoming us, but he's not from us. He's different. And Isaiah sees it clearly of the birth of Jesus, the one who was fully God and the one who was fully man. He sees it. It's the incarnation. It's the understanding that, that one is coming to be like us, but he's not from us. He's to be like us. He's to understand the weight. He's to understand what it means to be human. Let, let me reword that. Many times I've heard over times it says that, that God had to become man so that he would understand what it's like to be man. Well, that's not true. God's God. He knows all things. So why did he do it? God became man so that man would know that God understood what it was like to be man. So that we would know in our, in our weakness, we would know in our pain that we have one who understands. And your rejection and your, and your, and your, your sufferings and the things that you go through and the, and, and the broken relationships and, and all the disappointments in life and the, and the things that you wish but were not that you would know. But hang on, my God knows what it's like. And because he knows my weakness, he can minister to me in my weakness. And that's what gives you the assurance and the faith to hook your wagon to the wagon of God Almighty that he will take care of you regardless of how deep you've gone, regardless of how much pain you're in. He sees you, he feels you, and he's for you, but he's not of you because he can serve you. If he was of you, he would just be like, I know it stinks being us. He's not of you. He's not from you. He's of you, but he's from God. It's the incarnation. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around how that God can really understand us. We think, well, he's, no, no, he can. I want to read to you this, this section out of a Max Lucado book. And it, it's titled, It All Began in a Manger. 
It's titled, Just a Moment. It says, it all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. As moments go, that one appeared no different than any other. If you could somehow pick it off the t- of the timeline and examine it, it would look exactly like the ones that have passed. It came and it went. It was preceded and succeeded by others just like it. It was one of the countless moments that have marked time since eternity began measurable. But in reality, that particular moment was like none other. For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived in their midst. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a womb of a human. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. The omniscient made himself vulnerable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. He who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God is a unborn baby. Holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows and elbows and two kidneys and a spleen. And he stretched against the walls of his mother's womb and floated in embryonic fluid of his mother. God had come near. He came not as a flash of light or an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. And were it not for the stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. And had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons, he would have been nervous. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf, which I disagree with, by the way. But anyway, it's Max Lucado. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. I disagree with the tone deaf. I'm sure he had pimples. Anyway, let me get back to this and clarify. It could have been that his knees were bony. No matter what it is, one thing for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. This is what God did for us. From him to us. Jesus came to us. Not from us. He is God. But just as Isaiah sees, I want you to catch this, he sees a peak of God becoming flesh, the incarnation, the baby born of a virgin, Bethlehem, pow, there it is. He looks and he sees another peak. 
He sees another peak of the reality of this Messiah. That this is where people miss it a lot. And he sees this peak. That now this, this Messiah that will be born and live and here he is. But then with, as he's still riding, he jumps to another peak. And then he writes about him that the government, in verse 6, shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so that's something that's to come. But that's not the first peak. That's not the incarnation. That's not the purpose of the first peak. The first peak is that God becomes us for us. To live a life we couldn't live to die in our place so that all who put their trust in would be saved from the curse of sin. That's the first peak, and that's a big deal. But the second peak of his, is of his coming kingdom that will be. That's, that's, that's what the Jews thought the coming of their Savior would do immediately. They confused this this peak of government and this peak of the incarnation or, or the suffering servant or whatever, whatever, and they combined it. They said, no, 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 no. When the Messiah comes, he's gonna do all of it at once, the same time, same arrival, everything's good. He's gonna fix everything at once, boom. So this is their story, but they don't understand the prophet. Isaiah was describing another peak in the distance. The child was born on one peak. The government was, was established on another peak. And because they thought Isaiah was describing the event, they missed the Messiah in their midst because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. He wasn't, it wasn't what they, and they read scripture and they said, yes, I want that now. They missed the fact that the blessing of the world, the blessing that that God spoke of that their people's going to be to the world really wasn't about them. It was about the one who would come through them. And as Galatians says, the blessing was to the seed, not the seeds, uh, plural, but to the seed, which was Jesus Christ. That's the blessing to the whole of the world that came to the Jewish people. That's what the scripture says. And they missed the fact that, that God was going to use them to bring the Messiah so that all could find life, so that all could be delivered from their burdens. But this Messiah wasn't going to just show up and bring it all at the same time. He had to come. He had to live. He had to die on a cross. He had to rise from the dead. They missed it. They're still waiting they're waiting for the Messiah that, that looks like both peaks together. For them, they, when, when, they look at, when they look at Jesus, they think, well, the government wasn't on his shoulders. He got crucified by the government. Rome crucified him. They, no, no, it can't be. can't be the Messiah. His name wasn't wonderful. What are you talking about? His name is cursed amongst our people. His name's not wonderful, it's cursed. And for the Jewish person, Prince of Peace, you're telling me Jesus is, <laughs> yeah, right. We've been living anything but peace. 
But the reason why they missed him is because they mistook the peak as one together versus their two separate events. The peak Isaiah saw the government, that the government shall be upon his shoulders, Jesus. This is after his work was done. This is after he died for you and me. This is after he rose from the dead. This is after he gave the great commission to his disciples and to us. Go and preach the gospel. Reach the lost. Go to the ends of the earth. Tell everybody about me because I'm coming back. And by golly, when I come back, the government's going to rest on my shoulders. It's the, it's, it's the other peak. And this government, that which Isaiah saw, that would rest upon him is that, that one day God the Father will give to the Son the total government and earthly universe. He will have absolute and total control. When the perfect time comes and the gospel is preached to the ends of the, of the earth, when God's people do and be who they're called to be, when that time comes and the sovereignty of God is manifest in our midst, when that second peak that Isaiah is seeing about Jesus' government, Jesus will arrive and he will arrive on a white horse and he will snatch the reins of this world from the God of this age. He will bind the devil. He will bind all of his demons. He will bind everybody who serves him. He will cast them into hell and the curse of sin will be lifted off of the earth. Jesus will complete this without effort, without strain, without a battle. He'll be like, it's time. And a new world will exist. A world of no sickness, no sorrow, no tears, no surprise phone calls that take you off kilter and crush your heart. No hurtful words that are said to you and no disappointment of a loss. No more funerals. No more goodbyes. No more sickness. No more limps. No more cancer. It'll be a new world. Friends, that's coming. That's coming. We live in the tension of these two peaks of the kingdom now, but not yet. And we see glimpses of the kingdom that will come. We see, we, we, we see God heal people. Yes, does he heal everyone? No, why? I don't know. It's a glimpse. It's coming though. We, see, we sense the power. We sense the gifts that are flowing in our lives. We, yes, we see that. But by golly, we have, that's, a, that's just a little bit of what is coming in the reign and the government and the kingdom of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are, we are preparing now for that which is to come. Everything you do is preparing you for what is to come. How you, how you love your family, how you lead your family, how you, how, how you are a witness to others around you. That's preparing you for the coming peak. That's, it's coming. It's happening. It's on its way. There's a moment. We only have one moment to prepare for eternity. 
said, use what God's given us so that when, when that day comes, we can step in and bring as many people as we possibly can into the kingdom of God. We have one moment, what we do with our lives, our time, our finances, our relationships, our physical bodies. We are preparing for that which is to come. It's the tension of the kingdom is now, but it's not all just yet. This is what Isaiah saw. And of that government, friends, Isaiah speaks this, that of the, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Everybody say no end. In other words, this is never, once it starts, it's not stopping. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There will be a moment that everything changes. That's going to be a good day. But we're not there yet. It's in this moment of the government that Jesus will fully manifest his titles, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. But that is the peak to come. It's like, it's like Isaiah, when you read these passages, I love Isaiah. It's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite chapters in the Bible is Isaiah 53, where he speaks about the, prophetically of what Jesus is going to do. If, you, if you've never spent time in it, get in it, read it. But it's like Isaiah drops his sledgehammers on these peaks of prophecy and they explode with imagery and pictures and whoa! And then Isaiah does it again. In Isaiah 61, where he speaks about the work of the Messiah that the Jewish people are waiting on. And Jesus read of this book in Luke chapter 4. He stood up in Nazareth in the, in the synagogue. He was with his people. It's where he grew up. And he reads, and he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was going to read. And he unrolled the scroll, and he opens to Isaiah 61. And he says this, Jesus says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls it up, sits down, and the place is in awe. It's interesting Jesus stops right here. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what the next line is? And the vengeance of our God. Why didn't Jesus read that? That's the other peak. That's the, it's coming. He's on this peak right now. To bring favor to embody the sins of the world, to make a way for all those who are lost, to give hope to the hopeless, to rescue all those who were in the grip of Satan who would turn their eyes to Jesus, to administer and show us of what is to come. So he stops. And then he says this in verse 21. He says, and today... 
This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the place goes nuts. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. That's about the Messiah that we're waiting on. He goes, uh-huh. No, 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 no. You're, you're from Nazareth. And anyway, this is, the, no. They knew what Jesus said. He was saying, I'm the Messiah. They knew it. And then they were filled with rage, Scripture says. And so they rallied together. And they, this, this, I mean, listen, they had seen messiahs who said they're messiah, then they're not. There was even like a couple hundred years before Jesus. There was a messiah that rode into town. And he was said to have a hammer. And he was, he was Jewish and he was kicking butt. He rode into town and they ran everybody out of the temple and they rededicated the temple. And that's where the Hanukkah comes from. It's from that, that aspect, that, that happening there. So they had seen other messiahs. And coming to find out, they weren't that, they weren't the messiah. Even today, friends, when you go to Israel, you'll see signs up of a picture of a rabbi claiming to be Messiah. It's bizarre. Jesus said, I'm here. But they couldn't reconcile in their minds. No, 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 no. No, the Messiah that Isaiah speaks of is going to do boom, 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 boom all at once. Jesus said, no, mm -mm. that's what you want, but that's not what's happening. And so they, they're angry and they, they take Jesus to, a, to an area that they're going to throw him off. They want to kill him. But look, look at this verse. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. Think about it. Every, <laughs> their whole people group, as they read of the Torah and read of Psalms and read of Moses and read of Isaiah and read of the coming Messiah and they, everything about their cultures, one day the Messiah is coming and he's in their midst. He just said it, I'm he. No, no, it can't be, can't be, can't be. No, no, it can't be Jesus. No, because you're not what I want you to be. You can't know. You can't be a suffering servant. That's not my Messiah. I want a conquering king. Jesus, it's coming, but not yet. I am the suffering servant on a donkey, humbling myself to death upon a cross. There will be a day when I will ride in on a white horse as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I will come with power and conquering vengeance, but not yet. And they miss what they've been waiting on their whole lives. Every Christmas, friends, we are in this atmosphere of the Messiah is in our midst. We're reminded that the Messiah has come for us. 
And because sometimes, right, you know, I, I, yeah, okay, I don't want to go to hell, so I, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my life, but I don't know if you're what I want you to be. I mean, they could have drawn near to Jesus. They could have gotten to know God in their midst. They could have sat down and talked with, with God. Yahweh, the one who was on the mountain, is now in their midst. The one who stopped the sun, and they've been reading about it their whole life. So Joshua can win, and he's, he's right here. It says that he passed in their midst. We do this so much with God. We think, no, God, hang on. I'm going to keep you at a distance until you do things my way. Until you, until you, until you tell me why this happened to me. God, I know, I, listen, I, I'm going to go to heaven, but how much of my life I'm going to give you and surrender to you determines on what you're going to negotiate with me. Things, something bad happens, no, nope, 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 nope. I won't have that. That's, that's, that's not my Jesus I see. That's not my Jesus in Scripture. And we keep him at a distance. Yes, I'll spend eternity with you, but I'm not going to do too much with you here. Because I don't, I don't understand you. I don't understand that. Why, why I, you're not answering my questions. I don't know. No, everything in my book has to happen like this. And unless you do it according to my book, stay over there. Christmas is the invitation to give it all to him. Christmas is a reminder that a kingdom is coming. But it's also a reminder that he wants to be in your midst, deeply in your life. He wants to heal your mind. He wants to heal your soul. He wants to give you peace. The Prince of Peace, how you experience him today, is right here. There will be no peace on earth until the second kingdom, until the second peak comes, the kingdom comes. There is no peace on earth until Jesus snatches the reins from the enemy and now he controls it all. No government, no nation, nothing will ever bring peace. Nothing, it won't happen. I don't care how much you think it's going to happen. It can only happen under the rules, the, 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 the kingdom of Jesus Christ, under the, the authority of Jesus Christ, under that moment. So until then, you can receive peace in here, though. You can receive peace in here. You can receive peace in your broken heart. He can give you grace to navigate the sufferings of this world, which are real. And they're painful. He can give you the grace to walk out the loss of a loved one. He can give you the grace to deal with a friend who's dying. And no matter how much you pray and how much you believe, God chooses to take them. 
And instead of saying, distance from you, God, you say, God, give me the grace. He can give you peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Is he able? Yes. But are we really going to experience all of his kingdom? No. But one day you will. And what secures you today to be able to experience that tomorrow, whenever that may be at his second coming, is you opening your life to him completely right now, right where you are. Lord, come and have it all. Lord, come and do it your way. Lord, I submit to everything that you are. God, I give you all of my life. God, I don't, I don't keep you at a distance because I don't understand you. Lord, forgive me for my arrogance. I receive all of you. Come and give me peace. Lord, today we stand before you. We recognize that we are in your midst. You are in our midst. We recognize God. You're inviting us closer. We open our lives to you today that you can heal our hearts. You can restore our minds. You can break strongholds over our lives today. Lord, today we, we no longer keep you at a distance. We don't demand that you do it our way and then we will give you our lives. That's not how this works, God. This is not how this works, Lord. Today, as you are in our midst, we celebrate who you are. We celebrate that you are a good God. We celebrate that you came on this peak to save our souls, to guarantee our eternity, to work in our lives, to empower us with your gifts, to be a witness to the world, to walk in power and anointing, to pray for the, for the sick, to take dominion over the demonic, and to trust you and the outcome so, Lord, today, we give you our lives. We recognize that many of us are not at peace internally. We are in turmoil because we, we just don't understand. And we're, we're trying to find peace through an earthly government. And we're trying to find peace through a, through a government that's shaped by, by a kingdom that really hasn't fully arrived yet. And we will keep striving and we will keep working. We will keep serving and everything we do for your purpose on this earth, for your glory, everything we use for your purposes, we will receive a reward on that next peak. And we'll get glimpses of the reward here, now. But Lord, this is not what we're living for. We are living for eternity. We're living for what will come. We're living for the, for the great beauty of your government that will rest and that we will be a part of and that our sorrow will be no more, our tears will be no more, our sickness will be no more. Our mortality will no longer be. Our faith will be made whole. But until then, if you can't right where you are, just lift your hands to the Lord. 
just right where you are. Until then, Lord, we use the language of Mary. And we say, may it be, I am your servant. Can you just tell the Lord right now, I am your servant. So Lord, today we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you that it reminds us on what peak we're in. And so Lord, may we receive your invitation today and not let you pass us by this Christmas. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed. If you're here today and you would say, I do not know Jesus. And I recognize I do not know him. And I recognize that I am lost and nobody's looking around. I'm gonna ask you right now, if you wanna give your life to Jesus, right now, raise your hand right where you are. Just hold it up. God bless you, bless you. Just hold your hand up. God bless you, both of you, God bless you. You can put your hands down, thank you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I'm gonna ask you, just to, if you really mean that, if you can sense the tug on your heart that you pray this prayer and you give your life to Jesus right now and we're gonna pray it with you. So church, let's pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me, cleanse me, give me a new heart, give me a new mind. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you're coming back again. But until then, I am your servant. I want to know you. I want to know you more. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give a-